Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. In week two of a message series called Alignment. And the whole purpose of this series, last week I kind of teed us up and talked about it, is that sometimes if you've been in your car, your car will start to drift, maybe to the left or to the right, and you end up having to do a lot of work to course correct. What it really is, is that you have an alignment issue. And the same is true in our lives. If we're not fully aligned to the plans and purposes of God, we're going to consistently be experiencing things where we are drifting to the right or to the left and we're having to course correct really often. And so my hope in this series is to help us get realigned. And we talked about last week that the first thing we do to get realigned is that we enter into, sorry, there was something floating. <laughs> we enter into, I got too much ADD, that can't happen. So that we enter into a season of prayer and fasting. And so we kicked that off last weekend. We started prayer and fasting. And I'm just telling you, if you haven't been a part of one of our 21 days of prayer gatherings, they are so powerful. And, and here's the thing, they're so simple. Sometimes we overcomplicate what's necessary for God to move in a powerful way. So I would just encourage you, if you have the opportunity to make it to one of those, to do that. But every January during this series, whatever series we're doing, we start with 21 days of prayer. And then for the next four weeks after that, we go through each component of our vision. Because our vision here at Propel Church is simply this. We want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. I'm going to have you repeat these with me. You ready? Yeah. All right. Know God. Know God. Find, freedom, find freedom. Discover purpose. Discover purpose make, a difference. make a difference. The reason why that's important and the reason why that's the vision of our church is because we actually believe that's the vision God has for your life. The church is not a building. It's a people. And this is what God wants you to experience. He wants you to know him. He wants you to find freedom from your past and from the junk you've been carrying. He wants you to figure out why you were created. And then he wants you to do something with it. And that, if you can catch that vision for your life, we believe you'll experience what Jesus talked about when he said he came to give you life and life abundantly. And so I don't have time to unpack how we came up with this or where you can find all of this in Scripture. Uh, if you want to learn that, then go to Discover in two weeks. It unpacks all of that for you. But this is a theme that we see all throughout Scripture is this is God's plan his purpose, and his will for your life. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about what it looks like to be aligned with knowing God. And that's why this whole experience is created, why we do Sundays, is so that you can know God. We want you to know him intimately. We want you to know him personally because God did not die for your religious activities. He died so that you could have a relationship with him. He came so that you could experience him and have that relationship. God wants you to know him. And knowing God is really important, not just personally, but it makes a difference because, according to Barna, only one in every 14 people feel confident in sharing Jesus with their friend or leading them to salvation. 
It means one out of every 14 of us in this room are statistically likely to say, hey, I feel confident that if my friend came to me and said, I want to start a relationship with Jesus, that we knew how to walk them through that process. And so what we feel like as a church is it's our responsibility to get you ready. Because not everybody's going to walk through the doors of a church. But God positioned you strategically in your workplace, in your home, with your hobbies to help people experience him. And so today we're going to kind of walk through a passage of scripture. And my hope is to unpack a gospel story and kind of show us really the whole narrative that leads us to salvation. And so if you have a Bible, go with me to Luke chapter 15. It's a really popular passage of text. It's where Jesus talks about the prodigal son. And here's the thing. When Jesus is in Luke 15, he's telling something that's known as a parable. It's a story. Now, Jesus doesn't tell stories for the purpose of getting more people really excited or to just kind of bide time around a campfire. The reason why Jesus tells a story or tells a parable is so that he can illustrate something and help people understand how God's kingdom works. And so to illustrate this point further, Jesus has been in Luke chapter 15 kind of talking through the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep. And the whole purpose is that God celebrates when something is lost and becomes found. He's, he's pumped about it. He's excited. It's his Super Bowl, and he's cheering. And so what he goes on in this parable, he says this, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, the first thing that we see in this story is this is probably the most awkward Thanksgiving dinner that's ever existed, okay? Now, your share of the estate is also known as the inheritance. The inheritance is something that someone leaves you when they pass. And so what the son does to his father, we see a man who has two sons, and the younger of them is sitting at this table. They're having dinner, and he looks at his dad, and essentially what he says is, hey, dad, I know you're not dead yet, but I'd love my share of the money. (laughs) That's an awkward conversation. And not only is it an awkward conversation, but here's what we see is that the father agrees to divide his wealth between his sons. In other words, the son is asking for something that he does not deserve in a time that he does not deserve it. And the first thing we can learn about the father is that the father agrees and gives the son what he does not deserve. It's going to be important for you to know that in just a little bit as we kind of watch how the story unfolds. But the first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, that I want you to write down is that we were made to be a part of God's family. We were made to be a part of God's family. When Jesus starts the parable in Luke chapter 15, he talks about a man having sons because he wants to further illustrate the point that you and I, We're actually designed to be in God's family. And this doesn't start in the New Testament. This actually starts in the very first book of the Bible. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 as God is creating the heavens and the earth and he's making everything in the world and he creates man. And when he does that, this is what Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. Which means that from the very beginning, God makes us in his image. You thought your flaws and the deficiencies were, were something to be ashamed of. No, you are displaying the characteristics of God by the way you were designed. That's why diversity is not something that needs to be ignored. It needs to be celebrated. You're not colorblind, right? Ethnicity is not something that you need to ignore. It's something that should be celebrated because all of us are uniquely displaying a portion of the image of God to the rest of the world. You were created by God on purpose and made in his image. But if we keep exploring Genesis chapter 1 and even Genesis chapter 2, what we find is that Adam and Eve were made to be in communion with God. They were made to walk hand in hand. It was, they were family. It was this close-knit relationship. It wasn't that God was this far-off, distant being. In fact, when God created man, his goal was that they would walk closely with him, yeah. that they would be connected to him. You were made to be a part of God's family. But at some point in the journey, we get to Genesis chapter 3. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, we see that even though Adam and Eve were created by God to do communion with him, God does have a set of standards or a set of rules to follow. And he tells Adam and Eve, you actually get to enjoy the entire world. It's yours. Enjoy it. Rule over it. You have dominion over it. But there's this tree in a garden. And it's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that tree you should not eat from. Because if you eat of it, you will die. And what Adam and Eve perceived as preventing was actually God protecting so when the serpent comes in and says, well, did God really say you shouldn't eat from the tree? The answer is yes, <laughs> right? But here's what the enemy does, and we've been falling for his tricks for a long time, is he just twists and manipulates the words of God. He's not creative. He's manipulative. Right. So he twists the words of God to say, well, you know, did God really say that? Yeah, that's exactly what he said. He said, don't eat from it. But then he goes a step further and he says, well, you know why God said that is because he knew that if you ate of it, that you would become like him. And in that moment, what the enemy did was he played into the heartstrings of Adam and Eve. And it's the heartstrings that you and I have as well to think that somehow God is withholding something from us. Maybe it's experience. Maybe it's a plethora of other things, but that's what they feel in that moment. And so Genesis chapter 3 says this, verse 6, that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, some people are like, Adam, what are you doing? God said, don't eat from it. Why would you do that? Look, if your wife was standing there with a piece of fruit naked and offered it to you, you'd take it too. Come on. I mean, I'm just. So she he ate from it. And then it says this. Then both of their eyes were opened. And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings 
for themselves. The moment they did the thing that God told them not to, the moment they did the thing that they knew was wrong, they felt so much guilt that they had to hide and cover it up. And you and I have been there. We've been in that place where we've made mistakes, where we've sinned, where we've fallen short, and our natural response is to try and cover it up as fast as we can, and maybe nobody will ever notice. You were made to be a part of God's family, but here's the next thing. At some point, we leave God and we go our own way. In the chapters of Genesis, we find that Adam and Eve were created in perfection to do life with God. They were meant to be a part of God's family. But when they chose to eat from the fruit, that sin created separation. They were leaving God and they were going their own way. They were doing their own thing. This is your story. This is my story. And here's the reality. This is where we find common ground with every single person on the planet. Because according to scripture, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Some of us have sinned differently than others. Some of us are a little more creative, but every single one of us have sinned. We've all fallen short which means that part of your story is that you were made to be a part of God's family, but at some point you went your own way. At some point you thought what your plans for your life were were better than what God had designed for you. It's a part of the broken and fallen world that we're in. And you might sin differently than other people, but you still sin. You still go your own way. And in Luke chapter 15, We go back to our story there, and it says this. A few days later, the son packed all his belongings, and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he was eating the the pigs' food. What it does say is that that food became so desirable, but not even the pigs would share with him. You ever been on rock bottom? That's what it looks like. It looks like you have no hope, no home, no family, no friends, no opportunity on the horizon, no future to look forward to, no reason to continue moving on. It was a deep pit, and the reality is he deserved it. He left his father's house. He squandered his money. The situation he finds himself in is exactly what he deserves because that's what sin does for us. When we leave God's house, when we sin, when we go our own way, it leads us down a path where we don't experience the blessing and the favor of being in the house. It's where we get to live out our own mistakes. It's what he's experiencing in this moment. And here's what I know. This is part of your story. It's part of my story. See, years ago, I was trapped in a drug addiction, and I remember what it was like to look up and think that, man, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more than just drug addiction and hopelessness. But I was completely trapped in it because I had gone my own way, and my own way led me down a path that I never thought it would. 
what scripture teaches us in Proverbs is that path that we're led down ultimately leads to death. Other passages of scripture say that the wages of sin are death. This is our story. But here's the good news. At this point, there's a shift in the story. I know you may have experienced seasons of hopelessness or seasons where the pig trough looked really appetizing. But the good news of the gospel is that in the midst of our brokenness, a change can happen. That Jesus meets us right where we are. God doesn't just leave us in the middle of that mess. In fact, he sent Jesus to come and die for us in the mess to pay for our sins, to bridge the gap so that you and I could be restored back into the family of God. Jesus has died for every single one of us, but it requires us to come to the realization that we've messed up. Some of us are too prideful for that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Here's what it says. We keep reading Luke chapter 15. When he finally came to his senses. In other words, there was this like light bulb aha moment for him. And you have to have that. You've got to have this realization that at some point you've sinned, you've fallen short, you've messed up. Things aren't going the way God intended them to go. And he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. So I'll go to my father's house and I'll say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. This young man is feasting from a pig trough. And the reason why sin is so powerful is because sin distorts our perspective. It's something that we don't see. That's why we're going to talk about repentance in a second, but not not quite yet. But when we do, repentance is more than just a change in direction. It's, It's a change of mind. When this man is feasting from the pig trough, his thought is, I could go back to dad's house because in dad's house, even the hired servants have food to spare. There's nothing wrong with that. But the young man thinks that the only way he can come back to dad's house is if he comes back not as a son, but as a servant. In other words, the situation he found himself in had distorted his perspective of his father so much that he thought he could never be brought back into the place that he was born into. When you and I sin, it changes our view of God as a father. It distorts that perspective. The only thing we know about the father in the beginning of Luke 15 is that he gives his son what he doesn't deserve. And now his son is like, well, you know, dad's probably going to be harsh. He's just going to make me work it off and spend all my time in the fields. Sin distorts our perspective. And so then he comes out and he says, you know what? I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. But parents, can I ask you something? Have your kids ever been worthy of being your kids? <laughs> Could you imagine this conversation over the breakfast table for a moment? You're pouring some cereal, which we all know Reese's Puffs, that's the best cereal on the planet, right? So you pour out some Reese's and maybe you're a Cocoa Puffs person or you're a Fruity Pebbles person. It is what it is. If you're like a Wheat Thins or I don't even know what, what kind, this, that's not cereal. You're just, you're trying too hard. <laughs> 
to be healthy. You're eating cardboard at that point, just chew an Amazon box. It'll be the same. You're having breakfast, and your kid looks at you. They're eating their cereal, and they say, you know what, Mom and Dad, I finally feel worthy to be called your kid. He'd be like, shut up and eat your cereal, right? Like, that's, that's not. Because you're not a son or daughter by worth, but by birth. Like, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You were born into it. And so when he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, it's a lack of understanding of what it looks like to be a son. You're a son by birth. You're a daughter by birth. God didn't make you earn your way into his family. He died so that you could be a part of his family. And that payment was made before you ever said yes. He chose to do it. He chose to pave the way so that you could be brought into right standing with him. And then it says, so he returned home to his father. And this is the third part of our journey. We were made to be a part of God's family. At some point we went and went our own way. But at some point we have to repent of our sins. And repentance is acknowledging your sin and returning to God. It says he got up and he went home to his father. In other words, he could have stayed where he was at. He could have stayed in the pig trough. He could have stayed doing this thing, but it was not what he was made to do. So he acknowledged that he had messed up, even though he may have had the wrong identity. And, and there's other passages of scripture we see where, you know, people don't get it right when they start repenting and turning to God. God can use your selfish motives. He can use any kind of motives. He wants you to be in his house. He wants you to experience his peace and his protection. And as you go to look at all that God has done, we need to know repentance is first and foremost, the acknowledgement of sin. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I messed up. That's not repentance. Repentance is acknowledging your sin, but it's returning to God. It's changing the direction that you are currently going. So if I'm going this way and I'm facing sin, to repent is to turn my back on sin and go towards God. It's to pursue a different direction. It means to experience a change of mind. And so when we think about repentance, most of the time we think about the guy who stood at the corner of Walmart and he just shouted, repent, you know, like, they don't ever talk normal. They shout, look like they got a piece of, you know, fried chicken stuck in the back of their throat, right? Like, repent for the kingdom of God. You know, that's, no, it's a positive word. When, when, when you see people looking, repent and be baptized, hey, turn the direction of your life in a different way. Run towards God and let everybody know that you're not the person you used to be. It's a positive, life-changing and life-transforming word when we repent and we return. We come back to God's house because when we come back to God's house, we are coming back to the place that we were originally designed to be in. And so scripture says this as he's on his way home. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. Now here's what I want you to know, and I want you to hear me really clearly. For some of us, the reason why we've never come back to God 
is because we feel like what we're going to be met with is anger, wrath, and judgment. So because we feel like God's just going to be, he's just mad at us, he's just angry. And you've bought into that theology, right? Something bad happened in your life, and it's like, well, you know, God's just punishing me because I left and I walked away. That's not how a loving father works. God is a father when he sees someone that's lost and is coming home. This is why Jesus is telling the story. Because you've got people who are like, because I've messed up, because I've made mistakes, oh, God won't love me. He'll just Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He'll just pour his wrath out. No. He says the father is filled with love and compassion, and he runs to his son. And culturally, this is important because running showed a sense of urgency that these men in this culture didn't have. So when Jesus, when, when we hear his father ran, we're like, oh, man, why'd he do that, right? He could have walked, you know? Running, that's tough, right? That's a lot of work. When they heard he ran, it was like, hold on. He has that much excitement about this? He was that passionate about this? Wait, how did the father know his son was a far distance off? Oh, because the father was standing on the front porch waiting? From the day his son left, he was waiting for him to come back. From the day his kid walked away, he was ready for his return. So when the father saw him a long distance off, he doesn't say, you have to come all the way to me. He says, you know what? I'll go to you. That's the gospel. The good news of Jesus is that God doesn't wait for us to walk up to his front porch. Even when we're a far distance off, he runs to us, has Jesus die for us so that he can embrace us and love us and show us his compassion. And his son, the first thing he wants to say is, Father, I've sinned against both you and heaven. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And the father says this, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the fattest calf. What the father is doing is he's not worried about the speech that the son has prepared. He's excited that his son that was lost has come home. And I know you may be thinking that you've got to get your speech prepared, that you've got to get ready when you encounter God because you're, you just need to tell him all the things you've done wrong. Here's the good news. He already knows it. He wants to move forward because he cares more about your future in him than he does your past mistakes. If you'll surrender your past, he'll redeem your future. And God wants to give you an encounter with him that will change your life forever. And the symbolism of this passage of text is so important because a robe was telling this prodigal son as well as everybody else that his son was back. It wasn't that a servant had come home. It was that a son was walking through the door. While the son was prepared to come back At the bottom of the totem pole, a robe was indicative of royalty. It was to say, no, he's he's my son. 
I know he's been gone for a while. I know he's messed up. I know he's wasted things that I've worked my entire life for, but I want to restore him back to his place as a son in the house. It was an immediate demonstration of approval, love, mercy, and protection. Those are the major benefits of being a son of the house. Not only that, but he was given a ring as a symbol of a position of authority. The ring was symbolic and was put on the hand of the prodigal as evidence of the father's affection towards him. And it also announced that the transfer of the inheritance that would ordinarily uh, have been to just the firstborn, it was, it was the annunciation that, man, this son still has authority. I know he's messed up. I know he's made mistakes. But here's the most powerful part. When you get sandals, see, servants don't get sandals. Only sons do. Servants didn't get to wear shoes, but sons of the house did. And I could just see, and I believe some of you have experienced this before too, when you finally get what salvation is all about, it changes your heart. That God doesn't want you to suffer for the things you've done in your past, but instead he wants to remind you who he created you to be all along. And so he says, let's kill the fattest calf. We must celebrate and feast for this son of mine that was dead has now come home. (laughs) He has returned to life. He was lost, but is now found. And it says, so the party began. You don't have to wait to celebrate. When you are lost, and become found, the party starts right now. Because here's what salvation does. Salvation restores us to our rightful position as sons and daughters of God. I've walked you through this entire journey because I want to make sure you understand what the good news of Jesus really is. We talk about, oh, the gospel. Do you know the good news? Here's the good news. You were made and created to be a part of God's family. At some point, you went your own way. There's got to be a moment of repentance where you acknowledge your sin and return to God. But when you return to God, when you experience salvation, the whole point of this thing is so that you could be restored back to your rightful place in God's family. It was what the enemy stole, twisted, manipulated, and perverted, but God redeems and restores. It's why you've struggled with family dynamics your entire life where, where, because the enemy's crafty. That's why if you had a great dad, you somehow still have a distorted view of God as a father. If you had a terrible dad, you have a distorted view of God as a father. Because if the enemy can distort your picture of your earthly father, he will skew your view of your heavenly father. But what God wants to do is restore you. He wants to put you back in your rightful position as sons and daughters, to put a ring on your finger, to put a robe around you, to put sandals on your feet, because there are benefits in being in his family. There's an inheritance. And I believe that until you experience salvation, until you allow God to restore you to your rightful place, you will never experience all that God has for you. It's why it's the first part of the vision of our church that we want you to know God because you can find freedom 
But if you don't know God, your freedom will be temporary at best. You can discover your purpose, but can I tell you destiny is bigger than dollars? And if you don't know God first, you'll spend your entire life wondering why increase never satisfied. You can make a difference. Scripture talks about that. If you get to the end of your life and it wasn't to impact eternity, it's all going to burn up. It's going to fade away. And at the end of the day, you really never accomplished anything. You have to know God first and foremost. Salvation is just the restoration process of God. It's where he restores you to his rightful place. And once you are saved, what do you do with all that goodness, that grace and that mercy you've received from God? You take it and you go share it with other people. If you wanna figure out what you don't do, just keep reading Luke chapter 15. There's the part about the older brother and the older brother's kind of mad. The older brother's like, hey, dad, I've been working. I've, I'm not the one who abandoned you and left you. And you go throw a party for him? And the father says, yep, I am. Because he was lost, but he's now found. Well, I don't understand. That's not fair. Yeah. Well, what part of your life is fair? It's not fair. But neither is God's grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. How we respond is that we carry this heart of our father to other prodigals, other people who are lost and broken and hurting. And we live our life in service to God. Here's what I want to make sure you know. Here's the last point. That sons and daughters work from their position, not for it. As a son or a daughter of God, you're not working to be saved. You are working out your salvation by serving others. It's the way that we choose to live our lives, to not strive and try and earn salvation. You cannot earn God's grace, but you can leverage your life from the position you have at the God's table to serve other people, to give sacrificially, to honor others. And when you do, it changes their life forever. For some of us in here today, this last point is what we need because you've been working for it. You've been trying to earn it. You don't have to. In fact, you can't. You would spend your entire life trying to work for something that can only be achieved through receiving. For others of you, you've left God and you've walked away, but can I give you some good news? It's time for you to come home. God has been calling you and drawing you in, not to be saved by works or human efforts, but by simply returning to him and allowing him to restore you to your rightful place as a son or a daughter of God. So for just a moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed through the room today, maybe you're watching online and you need to surrender your life to Jesus. Here's the truth. According to Galatians chapter 4, we experience salvation. We become sons and daughters of God when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so if you want to be restored to that place, maybe you feel like God is drawing you in today and you've walked away from him in the past but want to come home. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just 
let us know that you want to make that decision today by lifting your hand and saying, hey, that's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. See that. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Will you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon.